I lose myself. I woke up this morning thinking it was Saturday, so where I got that from, I do not know. I was swiftly disabused of it. It's Wednesday, 26th September, and we're getting ourselves into some, some order here. And we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit again, and we're looking at the fruit of humility. And we were looking last week, I think, if I remember rightly, uh, at the fact that... Um, the fear of the Lord is something that we need to come back into um, and something that I spotted this morning when I was looking around Psalm 111 verse 10 we have to lay alongside the fact that God loves us to bits the fact that he is an awesome holy God and without the reverent and worshipful fear of the Lord, we will not understand his dealings in our lives, his, where he wants us to take us, uh, and neither will we be able to take anyone else. I just happened to um, see this morning, the end here. I've got to read it all. It's praise for God's tender care. Psalm 111. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright, hello assembly of the upright, and in the congregation. The works of the Lord are great, studied by all who have pleasure in them. His work is honourable and glorious, and his righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He has given food to all those who fear him. He will be ever mindful of his covenant. He has declared to his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage or inheritance of the nations. His desire, you know, is that we should have the nations for our inheritance, but we won't come into that until we're in a place to ask him for it. Um, was it John Knox that said, Give me Scotland or I die? Mm. Mm. He didn't ask him for a country. He was in a place where he could ask God for things like that because he's, he was totally focused and in bridal partnership with God and so he asked what was on God's heart to give him. Scotland. The works of his hands are verity and justice or truth and justice. All his precepts are sure. They stand fast for, forever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. And something that struck me, Isaiah 55. Um, I was speaking to Telsa. She got herself in a tizzy um, over the whole revelation business and whether we would be... Um, raptured out of it or not and she'd heard some teaching from somebody else over the internet and um, uh, she, she, this said no we're not we're going through the tribulation the same old argument that is, is usually put forward and she was she was not in a tizzy about the fact she'd steeled herself that she was going to go through this tribulation and I said well it, it isn't actually the truth um, and I thought, I'm not going to take issue with it. I'm just because she sent me an email. I'm not going to take issue with it. Just let it lie. And I went to my daily reading, and I was a couple of, couple of um, days behind in my daily reading. And I was in Isaiah 55. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. This was the thing that jumped out at me and I was meditating on it this morning why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy listen diligently to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance she was talking about sending for these tapes so that she could hear what he would got to say because she was not convinced that what 
what I was teaching was the truth. She felt that he'd got the truth and so she's going to send for it. And it, God gives me, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Um, and then she emailed, well, I spoke, uh, in the end I spoke to her on the phone because I got agitated and I thought I've really got to speak to her about this. So I just spoke to her, showed her why it was wrong. And the reason, of course, that it was wrong teaching it is that it's a Gentile view of a book that is written by the Jews. And it leaves out the whole issue of where the Jews are and what that seven years is. And it's the culmination of Israel's history. It's got nothing to do with the Gentiles. But if you've got someone who just looks at it straight, I, I thought, how can you get over the first few sentences in Revelation blessed are you if you read this book I don't think I feel very blessed if I've got to look at what's coming and apply it to myself I think I'd be terrified that's why most Christians stay out of the book they can't understand it they think it means them they're not sure and so they keep away from it and say it's done a very good job but the answer is, blessed are you if you read it, because you get some understanding of the whole thing of God's purposes from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, but if, if, as I say, you get a Gentile looking at it and not Jews, and she brought the old chestnut of, I think it's Matthew 24, you know, oh, well, the, the, the great times are good, and this is going to happen, and great tribulation. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. That is what that refers to, and it's in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 30, somewhere around Jeremiah 30. Don't want to go from Revelation this morning. Can do that next year. Um, is uh, that it is the, it's a time of, and it says, but he will be saved out of it. And what does Jesus say? If it was not for the elect, the days have been shortened because of the elect. Who's the elect? Israel. I mean, we need we need to know. For anybody who's interested, it's Jeremiah 30, verse 7. And this is the Lord saying, this is uh, what's going to happen. Alas, for that day is great. What day is that? Cross-reference to Daniel 12 and Daniel 9, 12 and Daniel 12, 1. Without the book of Daniel, you'll never understand uh, revelation at all, you need to know what the Daniel 70 weeks were about and I, I didn't even go into that with her um, it's about Daniel 70 weeks, it's the 70th week it's the 70th seven it's that part, that piece of time, seven years and it's to do totally with Israel Daniel, the book of Daniel has got nothing to do with us, it's to do with Israel but it's our key to seeing what's going on in Revelation Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it, and it's the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Very clear. So I told her about one or two of these things, and she calmed down and decided she wasn't going through the tribulation, and she wasn't going to send for the tapes either. But I thought, how interesting, because um, it was June who came up from... Um, uh, honeysuckle one day, when we hadn't really known each other very long, had we? And she said to me, what have you got on the rapture? And I thought, well, I've got a couple of books and bits and pieces you can look at. Why is that? Well, the Lord's told me, correct me if I'm wrong about what you said, that my church is teaching error. And the error they were teaching was that the church was going through the tribulation. So that told me that what I was teaching was the truth. With that beyond a shadow of a doubt, God has stamped his seal on what is being taught in terms of the rapture wouldn't say everything in terms of the rapture it is true because he doesn't change his ways you've got to look back what did he do uh, when mankind was, was so awful he had to bring judgment he took the righteous out of it mm. what did he do when he brought judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah he took the righteous out of it what's he going to do when he's bringing his judgment on the, on the nations He'll take the righteous out of it. It's not rocket science. It's seeing the principles under which God works. His ways. The children of Israel knew his works, but Moses knew his ways. So can I ask a question? <coughs> Gone right off, says, haven't I? Huh? 
I said, I've gone right off the fruit of the spirit. <laughs> so, you know, um, it says that the rain falls on the righteous. I mean, bad things will happen to the righteous and, <clears throat> and the unrighteous. Yeah, that's a different issue. That's, yeah, that, but that's, that God is training us for reigning through this. That, that's right, yes. Because I've heard teaching on the 9-11 that certain Christians who are walking righteously were, were, were saved like the flooding didn't come in a Christian's home yeah. because that person was so righteous. I don't know if you agree with Have you heard of that? I haven't heard of it and I wouldn't <coughs> like to opine on it, dear. Yeah, because I'm I just thinking... Because no, because that, 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 that you know, um, I, I wouldn't like to... And it's not the issue of what of that of which I speak at the moment. I'm talking about God's wrath. Or his wrath. His wrath. He brought judgment took Noah out of it, brought judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, which must say something about homosexuality. Mm. Took the righteous out of it, took Lot out, but his wife looked back, didn't she? And when, at the end of the time, he will bring his wrath upon the nations, then the righteous, because Jesus has taken the wrath for us. So if you come up against tr tr teaching where they are saying that you will go through the tribulation, what it engenders is fear. That is what it engenders. You can steal yourself, but it engenders fear. I said, I don't feel I've got much of a gospel. If I go to my neighbour next door and say, you need to be saved, and they say, saved from what? Oh, well, you need to be saved from the wrath of God. Right? So believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Oh, but by the way, the wrath of God's coming. It's a contradiction. It's not good news. And they're going to say, well, I'll wait till it happens, mate. And they'll make me choice then. It isn't good news. Uh, it doesn't hold water. There's so many ways that it doesn't hold water. Um, because the next question she came up with, I still can't get my head around who's going to be left to populate the earth and what all this business is about. So I thought, will you take it in one step at a time? <laughs> but I answered her just the same. The people who are left to populate the earth are those who've come through the Great Tribulation and are tribulational believers. They will have ordinary bodies like we have got. We will not have these ordinary bodies. We will have glorified bodies because we will have gone back and come down again with Jesus and they will repopulate the earth and at the end of the tribulation when Satan at the end of the millennium when Satan is released again for a short time it's their progeny that will follow Satan which will give the lie to the fact that if I could see Jesus I would believe because he'll been in Jerusalem all, all this time they could have seen him any time they like it's there and Satan made me do it and no he didn't because he was locked up in the abyss for a thousand years so it's man's fallen nature uh, to uh, follow after wickedness so um, I don't know if I've created more questions than answers there but as I say uh, Telsa was in a bit of a tizzy but I think she's alright now and I've recommended a book to her which those of you, if there were any of you that came here when we did the Revelation study Tim LaHaye's book Revelation Unveiled is extremely good uh, it's very well worth reading and it'll answer all the questions um, she, she went on Amazon.com couldn't find it so um, but you should be able to get a copy somewhere if you're interested enough and as I say sometime in the new year um, permission has been granted for me to do uh, Revelation I love the book of Revelation I just, I just love it because it takes in the whole of the Bible you're picking out from everywhere. You cannot just look at it and think, well, I'm going to unpick this thing and try and make out what it means by these things because what it talks about has been before. Mm -hmm. And you can pull it forward and see. God's not a God of mystery. When he talks about pictures, he says they're pictures. Otherwise, we take it literally as it says it is. So, Right, fear of the Lord. Mm -hmm. uh, and the fruit of the Spirit. This little um, diagram here, the dotted line is our will. And until our will is completely yielded to God so that we can say with Jesus, I always do what the Father's will is. You see, Jesus did not meet every need 
that came along. He only met the needs that the Father told him to go and meet. God's will is unchangeable. We sometimes go on as if, it's, as if it changes overnight. You know, well, he told me this yesterday and now he's telling me this today. Um, which was one of the problems I had with this dear one that came at the weekend. But never mind. It was going sort of falling about six feet in front of me. So I didn't rise to it, I'm glad to say. Bless her. So... God's will is always unchangeable. Jesus always did what the Father said, but we're not quite the same. So the dotted line there is our will. We come and go. But you notice that it's going, it's reducing that curve. As we walk on, hopefully, we will lose, to an extent, our independence, our rebellion, our pride, arrogance, the despair that we go into, our self-will and our resentment about what God asks us to do. Uh, so we lose those things, the curve decreases until at the end of the day it will level out and we'll find that we're in alignment. This is all about getting into alignment with him. And if you peek into any of those things, independence or rebellion or pride or despair or self-will or resentment, you're not in a happy state. You're never happy when you're walking independent of God. You're never happy when you're self-willed against him. You're never happy. Because you can't be. There's nothing, no one quite as unhappy as an out-of-fellowship believer. Because you're neither one thing nor the other. You can't be happy in the world because you know you don't belong there. And yet you don't feel quite in step with the Lord. So there you are in this sort of limbo state doing neither one thing nor the other. For some reason or other at this point I need to do a, a, <coughs> a promo excuse me, for the um, uh, next baton meeting, which is entitled The Wedding of the Lamb Has Come and the Bride Has Made Herself Ready, with the subtitle of Sex, Sexuality and Moral Morality in the 21st Century. Uh, the Lord really said to me, I want you to do this, at which I freaked, hair stood on end. Uh, I thought, I know nothing about this, and he's just sort of gone, download. Um, and out of it, I think, will come massive freedom if people will come and listen to what he has to say. Um, it's just liberating, freeing, because the Word of God is always freeing when we walk in his commandments. What we don't like is that actually he hasn't changed his commandments. They're written in here now. Whereas they were written in, in tablets of stone, they're now written in here. And funnily enough, what happened on Monday night was somehow or other we got round to talking about something that opened up what's coming on the 6th of October. Um, and it, it's just, again, it's ignorance. We don't know, we're not taught, we don't understand. Um, we don't know. What it was, was... Um, that when you're, if any man be in Christ, is a new creation. Two Corinthians five seventeen. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have come new. What that had not been recognised was that sin that is unconfessed is unforgiven. Oh, but I'm a new creation. Yes. But early in my Christian walk, I had this picture of a back view of a bride and groom. She was walking up the aisle. She was actually on the arm of her bridegroom. Lovely dress. But tied to her ankles were fish heads, tin cans, stinking old bits, which she was going into her wedding with. So when we're born again, actually, yes, all that is forgiven, but the Lord will quicken to us that it specifically has to we did them one at a time <laughs> so we have to actually repent of them one at a time it's not your actual Anglican we confess our sins Father you know thinking of the bloke next door my word yes I hope he's hearing this um, it is an individual thing sins are committed one at a time and unless you've known that you really do not know what forgiveness is all about because until I found out what a sinner I was I didn't know what how I've been forgiven. I spent the first two years of my Christian walk in the back row, 
bawling my eyes out. We used to laugh. Say, pass the bucket. There were two of us. Every time we went to church on Sunday morning, we'd be bucketing because of the conviction that was coming on us of what we had done before we were born again. So it doesn't, it doesn't just lie there. And all this will come out on, on the 6th of October. And freedom is the answer. Freedom. Um, so there's a plug for the 6th of October, any of you can manage it. And it's in the Wallace Room this time. We alternate between the two this, this year. We're Wallace Room this time. Small one. The little hexagonal room. We were in the winter room last time, but most people didn't know about the last one in September, the Money Matters one. Then we're in the Wallace room, then we're in the winter room, and then we're in the Wallace room. <coughs> Going to have a bit of fun with Christmas as well this year. <laughs> I don't see why the enemy should have all the fun. So we'll have a little look at that as well come December. Let's see. Absolutely better. The first scripture God ever gave me ten years ago. That's it. And it's, it's not just knowledge of his heart. That's it. Knowledge of his ways. Because if we don't understand his ways, we're in this all the time. Um, yeah, we, we have to come out of agreement before we can get set free. That's why you need teachers in the body of Christ. That's why we need teaching. He showed me that this morning, that you have to come out of agreement with what you're doing to see that it's wrong to get set free. Mm. Otherwise, you, you, there's no way that you can go for deliverance on someone if they don't understand how the thing got there in the first place, why it's got legal rights to stay, Got to give them that choice. Explain to them what it means to, to be in agreement with the thing, so they can say, "I don't want that." <laughs> and then, out it comes. There's someone that I'm uh, not ministering to, but know of at the moment that that is popping. Um, and Joyce said to me, "You're going to do anything about that?" I said, "No," because th they need to understand first, so they can make the choice. Because at the moment, they don't understand, they don't know, and I haven't had the opportunity or, or the permission to do anything about it yet. I'm just watching. But the enemy knows. <laughs> he knows, I know. What was your husband used to say? But does he know? I know. He knows that I know. That he knows. <laughs> that I know that he knows. And he goes, <laughs> with that one, have you heard him? Have you heard him do that watch? And I've heard all his jokes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've looked at the fear of the Lord and we looked at money and bread. That's so interesting. Uh, because in the same breath as Estelle now, she was saying that, that uh, she got a, a very highly confidential envelope from a ministry that I won't mention uh, in America. Uh, and, and please be prayerful before you open it. And of course, Julie, it was money. And I thought, I'm not going to say to you, you know, why spend your money on things that aren't bread? But that's, that's the issue that is, I think, coming up for her at the moment. Why spend your money on what's not bread? And apparently the contents of this envelope were saying, put your money where you're being fed. That's what it was saying. Mm. Um, and if she's being fed off, off of uh, the God channel by this particular person, brilliant. Anyway, then that's another thing altogether. So fruit of the Spirit, which is the nature of God, and it's our destiny to walk in the nature of God, which is the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, and that takes time. God is not in a hurry. We are, you know, we want instant, instant coffee, instant now. Put it through the microwave, get it right away. But he doesn't change. And it takes time for us, you know. Have you, I haven't ever seen one, but sometimes out in the channel you see these huge tankers seem to be miles long. When the instruction goes to change course a couple of degrees, it takes quite a long time before the nose of that thing will start to come round. And I saw a picture once, and it was of this ship, and it was heading for over here, and the Lord said, it needs the, the land mass is here. It's going to miss it. 
because if you are a degree out in your sights, you'll, you'll miss the target. And, and as I watched, so the mid-course correction was being made and very, very slowly it began to, to pull round so that now it would land where it was meant to go, it would dock where it was meant to go. And, and making mid-course corrections for us is a constant thing. I mean, my little feet are going so fast trying to make mid-course corrections in what God has been operating in a certain way in this ministry for perhaps 15 years and suddenly mid-course correction time and the whole ship has got to do it. If we're going to get in line, in alignment with what he wants, it's got to be, everything has got to be looked at all over again. Graham says that we need to rewrite ourselves about once every five years. How long is it, I would ask you, since you rewrote yourself? Since you had a look at who you are, where you're going, what your goals are, what your aims and your aspirations are before God. What is it that he's saying to you? What mid-course correction is he trying to make? How's he, how is he trying to steer this vehicle to get it into alignment with his will so that we don't get the resentment every time he tries to tell us to do something, but we comply? Anybody who's brought up children know how lovely it is. I just remember when I used to try to get Stephen in his pushchair. He could go like an ironing board. Here am I trying to bend him into this thing and he's rigid like that. I just could not get the boy down in there because he wasn't going to go in that pushchair. I don't remember how we got him to bend his legs now, but he knee got in. in, the in sorry? The knee in the chest. <laughs> <laughs> knee in the chest. <laughs> Inducements, someone said, sweetie. <laughs> But how much nicer it is if the child actually comes with you willingly, walks alongside you hand in hand, looking up at you trustingly. Whereas so often with God we are either wanting to run ahead or hang behind or jump up and down or have a paddy. I mean, I speak to myself. I can remember the time when he showed me a picture of myself under his arm, both ends going, legs kicking, arms going, shouting and screaming, and he's walking along like this. There's all this noise going along. He's taking absolutely no notice. Just carrying on. She'll stop in a minute. I learnt very quickly that uh, yield is the name of the game. Yield. Yield. So what kind of yield is coming off your life right now? Um, you know, the most heavily laden branches, apparently, that uh, they say people who keep orchards always bow the lowest because they're carrying the weight of the fruit. So they are bowing the knee, if you like, to the Lordship of Jesus. They're bowing. I looked up a couple of um, things. I meant to bring it down, but I think that the, that the notes I've got here are enough. It's the... Um, definition of humility from Vine's um, uh, Greek New Testament words because we're looking at humility other words for humility are gentleness and meekness and they're the total opposite of pride so it meek gentle mild is said of Christ's own disposition it is to be the Christian adornment it's the opposite of self-interest and self-assertiveness. It is an inwrought grace of the soul, and its exercises are chiefly towards God. Now, there's interesting, isn't it? Because if you get it right vertically, you'll get it right horizontally. You won't get it right by being meek here and not meek before him, because that's probably people-pleasing. It's an inwrought grace of the soul and its exercises are chiefly towards God. I think it was Paul that said in Galatians that he really didn't care about pleasing men. It was God that tried his heart. That was not what he was interested in. Um, it's not pleasing man but pleasing God that tries my heart, is what he said. It is the temper of spirit in which we accept his dealings as good and therefore without disputing or resisting. 
so we don't actually come into this pattern at all. We recognize who he is and who we are in relationship to him. And we lay down our independence, rebellion, pride, arrogance, self-will, resentment, you fill in your own blanks, whatever it is that stops you being able to be humble before him and do as he asks. Because his commands are not burdensome. It's not difficult to obey him. When he challenged me on Monday night, um, isn't it interesting how you immediately know what he's talking about? Out of the blue, I'm sitting there minding my own business. How long are you going to be there before you do it? I knew instantly that to which he referred. It's been prophesied, you see. But it wasn't in my thinking. Because I'm thinking, well, when, when the time is right, you'll say. And his way of saying was, well, how long are you going to drag your feet on this one then? <laughs> Sorry, Lord. Ah, I do it, I do it, I do it. Everything in me went, ah. And I said, yes, Lord. Shut up, Martha, we're doing it. He said, don't you trust me? I knew the answer was meant to be yes, because <laughs> after all it must be yes. And I said, well, I don't think I can, can I really, otherwise I wouldn't be hanging about with it, but the answer is yes. It's like the time when um, when we were first here and uh, everything to do with the trustees was up in the air and, and uh, we had one or two trustees and uh, new ones joining. and, and just had no idea what they were going to decide that they wanted to do and he said to me will you trust me we are trustees oh yeah so now I don't worry at all because I know that whatever decisions the trustees make God has got his hand on the rudder so I haven't got to because what had happened was that as a trustees meeting some, I'd get very agitated because I'd know where we needed to go. And sometimes I'd, I'd have to push it a bit to get it to go where I knew we needed to go. And, and I didn't like it. I didn't, didn't like that having to sort of say, but I think God's saying this. So now I just leave my trustees in his capable hands and know that I just suddenly realised I've got two of them with me. Um, and know that he will guide this ship because it's his. So it's, it's such, you see, it's so peaceful when you let go of trying to do it yourself. So without disputing or resisting and accepting his dealings as good, when we come to look at um, Bob Mumford's and this, the King and you, he talks about this narrow place, you know, and squeezing everything off you so that you go through the camel's eye. We will not let go of things because we think that if while we hold on to them we've got some sort of control over them um, but in actual fact they have us we don't have them mm -hmm. until we've let go and then we actually have them they don't have a bondage on us but we'll look at that when we get to it mm -hmm. so this meekness being first of all before God is also such in the face of men even of evil men out of a sense that these with insults and injuries with which they may inflict, this is rather old English, are permitted and employed, used by him for the chastening and purifying of his elect. It is associated with self-control. So if I could sort of um, paraphrase that in the sort of message version, don't gripe when you come under a different employer time and time again. God is actually trying to speak to you in this situation. So you get into a job and the employer turns out to be exactly as the ones they were before. It is not the employer that God is speaking to, it is you. He is saying, there is something I want to work in you, some grace I want to do in your soul, and you're missing it. So I keep having to put you in the same situation in order that you might see it. Because he will take us round and round and round it. So don't gripe when you come under a difficult employer time and time again and meek is, n is not readily expressed in English 
for the terms meekness and mildness commonly used suggest weakness. I think I said this last week that meekness is not weakness. It is submitted strength. That's what meekness is. Moses was not a weak man. He obviously wasn't. He went up onto Mount Nebo and died there when he was in his hundreds. So physically he was not a weak man. And he was probably quite a, a sizable guy to lead all those people. The meekness commended to believers and manifested by the Lord is the fruit of power. Meekness is not weakness. It is strength under control. It's the balance of spirit that's neither elated nor cast down simply because it's not occupied with self at all. Now we come into that bloke that's on the other side of the uh, thing of me, aren't we? Won't turn him round. It's too nice. So, pride opposite of meekness. And this is um, from the dictionary. Inordinate self-esteem an unreasonable conceit of one's own superiority in talents, beauty, wealth, accomplishments, rank or elevation in office, which manifests itself in lofty airs, distance from others, and often contempt of others, insolence and rude treatment of others, elevation or a lifting up. The Amplified Bible translates pride as puffed up. One Samuel fifteen twelve. I'm going to go to now, just quickly. Fifteen twelve. The whole of the um, chapter is headed up Saul's incomplete obedience. As you know, Saul was given the kingdom first king of Israel but he had a test command which he failed uh, and we see it here okay, the, the Lord says I greatly regret 1 Samuel 15 11 that I've set up Saul as king for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments and it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was, Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself, and he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Saul set up a monument to himself. And in 1 Samuel 15, 17, the Lord says to, Samuel says to Saul, the Lord speaking when you were little in your own eyes were you not head of the tribes of Israel and did not the Lord anoint you o king over Israel the point that is being made here is that sometimes someone can be very meek and lovely and full of fruit until they're promoted and the promotion is the death of them because the promotion like Saul sometimes uh, when they've been promoted, their character shows and they will come down faster than they went up, really. Because in that promotion, they begin to be uh, bad towards people. Um, he was Israel's first king and he came down as quickly as he went up. God says, you were small in your own sight. Didn't I promote you? So promotion can be destruction for us and destructive for us. And suddenly we are important in our own eyes, and that promotion can destroy us. So we go around mistreating people, getting puffed up and impatient. Um, I expect probably why I have a reticence about, and have for some time, about admitting that God has put me in leadership, and now that he wants to start this on a Sunday morning, is that I am terrified of, the, of doing it, being like that getting promoted and then starting to not be as I should because um, I'd sort of thought to myself I don't know the term ministry leader doesn't really apply for what I'm doing now and I'm thinking but it doesn't matter what title you give it You can, it, ministry is service so you can say servant leader <laughs> 
you know, and I thought, it doesn't matter. Titles do not matter. It does not reflect what I'm doing, but it doesn't matter. And unless the trustees decide to change the title, it stays as it is. Um, because it was when I was actually trying to, to do a sort of pro forma for the, for the rewriting of the publicity for the trust, and that I suddenly realised it's talking about the ministry leader, and I'm thinking, well, I'm going, hmm. oh, I'll leave it, for goodness sake, doesn't matter. It's a person they're going to see, it doesn't matter. Promotion can be destructive for us uh, because we suddenly get puffed up and impatient. Uh, when you can say Galatians 2.20 and mean it, you, it, you may be getting somewhere. And, and I think it says, uh, it is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. Probably be worth looking it up. These are the scriptures that I speak out by faith. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. God forbid that I should boast, saving the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, whereby the world is crucified to me and I to the world. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. It's the original says, of the Son of God, not in. Because if it's his life, that is living in me it is his faith that is operating through me so I say I live by faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me and that is prophetic because that's where I'm going it's not necessarily where I've got to if I'm making sense because I was brought up on the King James I like it the way I like it and that's what the King James says so pride is all about I and it may not even come out of your mouth, but in your mind you might be thinking, well, I'm better than that, I'm smarter, my way is right, yours isn't, I wouldn't do it like that, I'll take care of it, I'm independent, me, myself and I. We're the greatest problem we have, whether we realise it or not. Full of ourselves. It's this guy here, this serpent. Full of, full of ourselves, uh, judgmental in our thoughts, which is pride. Um, judgment is fallen discernment. We can discern a thing and see a thing, but it will come out into judgmental. And so we start thinking, well, I wouldn't have done it like that. You know, they shouldn't do that with their money and what they think they're doing by doing that sort of thing. That is fallen discernment. God will show you things uh, which is discernment, but it's not there for you to criticize and pick holes in. It's there so that you might ask him what you should do about it, how you pray. Right now I'm getting information from all sides, as is often the case, on various bits and pieces. It's not for me to get critical about, for, but for me to be informed, so that when I see the person's or person's concern, God has already given me uh, inside information on what is going on. Not for me to be critical or judgmental, but so that I may seek him and find out what he wants to do in the situation and bring some revelatory rationale into the lives of the people who are going to come with the problems. If, that, if I'm making sense, I'm trying not to, to, to divulge what it is that uh, I'm talking about, but that is the way he does it. He gives us information, but it's not for us to go, <laughs> so that we might say, oh, okay, Father, what do you want to do here? His perspective, that's it. Revelatory rationale. Impatience is a manifestation of pride. You shouldn't be like that, act like that. Um, you know, when people are not moving as fast as you want them to, get impatient with them, that is pride. Um, somebody who doesn't understand the first time you tell them, that is pride, because you, you want to move them on, you know. It's ever so interesting to just say to the Lord, will you show me uh, it's this in this little book of um, Andrew Murray's that uh, I've uh, spoken about before. And he says, the truth is this, pride must die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's a bit of 
categorical way of saying it. And he's got a prayer in here somewhere. He says, uh, he asks, this is it. I will give you an infallible touchstone that will tie all to the truth. It is this. Retire from the world and all conversation for only one month. Neither write nor read nor debate anything with yourself. Stop all the former workings of your heart and mind. And with all the strength of your heart, stand all this month as continually as you can in the following form of prayer to God. Offer it frequently on your knees, but whether sitting, walking or standing, be always inwardly longing and earnestly praying this one prayer. That of his goodness he would make known to you and take from your heart every kind and form and degree of pride, whether it be from evil spirits or your own corrupt nature, and that he would awaken in you the deepest depth and, uh, and truth of that humility which can make you capable of his light and Holy Spirit. Reject every thought but that of waiting and praying in this matter from the bottom of your heart with such truth and earnestness as people in torment wish to pray and be delivered from it. If you can and will give yourself up in truth and sincerity to this spirit of prayer, I will venture to affirm to you that if you had twice as many evil spirits in you as Mary Magdalene had, they will all be cast out of you and you will be forced with her to weep tears of love at the feet of the Holy Jesus. It's a prayer that I often pray, Father, take from me any form and manner of pride, however it manifests itself. It is so sneaky. Pride is so sneaky. You would not recognise that it is. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a worm, I'm no good for anything. <laughs> Self-derogation, it's the flip side. Because self is the object. So humble yourselves continually. It has to do with the way that we think and it starts in our thinking, judgmental thoughts that we have towards one another, busy minding everybody else's business. Uh, pride will poison your life. And of course it's one of his, one of the snake's eggs really. Critical judgmental thoughts. And we will not be um, have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ about anybody else's life but our own. <laughs> so we don't need to be really bothering ourselves what they're doing. So we can spend too much time worrying about uh, what everybody else is doing. And if you've got a spouse, you might be spending time worrying about what they're doing. And that is not your affair. Their, their walk with God is their walk with God. Pray for them by all means. But don't try to shove them in the direction that God isn't pushing them right now. And what about worrying about what people think? It does not matter what they think. It really doesn't. Um, you know, it really doesn't. It's, it's in Galatians, I think, uh, where Paul says, you know, if I can see it. Oh yes, I can. It's Galatians 1.10. And he's talking about, if anyone preaches another gospel to you than that which you've received, <laughs> let him be accursed. He doesn't mess around with it, does he? For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Uh, and the old King James says, I speak not as pleasing man, but pleasing God who tries my heart. God is the one who tries your heart. It really does not matter, diddly squat, what other people think. Uh, and if you are going to set your heart to the other side of that and your will to God, you will find yourself out with other people quicker than you like. You'll find yourself out with people in church because they will not like it that you're actually categorical about certain things because you're sticking to the truth. You're not woolly, you're not compromising. You're saying, actually, it's like this. Um, we found it when we looked at homosexuality um, that God loves the person but he does not like what they're doing he doesn't like their lifestyle um, he would not be true to himself if he suddenly decided that though he brought judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah it's alright for the 21st century we have got to see the way it is we have got to actually display something completely different to what happens in the world out there and, and coming out from among them and being separate is one of the hardest things that Christians 
fine to do is because we don't actually want to be that separate because it means we will not have the friends we had before people will drop away I remember when when I became a Christian I didn't have many friends but one of them uh, a girlfriend I can remember the night I sat and told her about the Lord and I saw the look on her face and she and I had previously been drinking partners and I thought that's the end of that then and there was a time because Joyce came, became a Christian after I did uh, where I actually said to the Lord well if that relationship has to go then it has to go but of course he brought her in nine months later she came in uh, phoned me up in early hours of the morning I think crying and laughing at the same time <laughs> so that's it thank you Father please would you bless this word to our ears Lord and cause us to walk in it Amen I just sense that um, the Lord started to say I've got so much I want to bring you into um, and it's as though he's saying why are you settling for a sandwich when I've got a smorgasbord it's like I saw a little half a brown bread sandwich, a little triangle on a plate, and yet laid behind us was this smorgasbord, smoked salmon chicken, uh, anything you can name. There it is, right? It's going for yards. Uh, there, are, there is so much more that he wants to bring us into. And he's, he's saying, don't settle for crumbs, children. Because he wants to bring us into the place where we can ask for the nations as our inheritance and get it. That is where he's heading us to. He has good things, good things for us. And he says, don't drag your heels, my darlings. Don't drag your heels. Get your eyes off of the things that are so important to you and get them on to what I have for you. The feast is prepared for you. Come eat. <laughs>